Welcome to What's Eric Eating? Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. I have Brian Ching, Dynamo legend and bar owner, coming up in a little bit. But first, I am joined by my co-host this week, who's a Houston hospitality veteran and a co-founder of the Houston Barbecue Festival. Follow him on Instagram at FulmerHOU. Michael Fulmer, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for being here. Let us dive right into the news of the week. Topic number one, Politan Row, the food hall in Rice Village, has closed. The explanation is not very difficult. It's just that uh, the coronavirus pandemic and the restrictions have made gathering people in large spaces to pack them in together for food and drinks uh, problematic at best. And so the food hall format wasn't really viable. And uh, that was kind of the end of the road for Politan Row. Michael, I know that you've been to Politan Row because I've been there with you. What are you, what is your kind of reaction to this, to this news? Uh, great disappointment. Um, you know, over the years, the one thing I've always really wanted for Houston to have would be to have like a, the, the food hall concept, which is blowing up the idea that Houstonians could gather, they could eat in a communal space, they could interact um, and, it, you know, not be like sort of the chain experience, uh, you know, something along the line, you know, the Reading Terminal in Philadelphia or even Pikes Peak, which is technically a farmer's market. But just this like because it's so hot and outdoors is a problematic for a permanent space. Food halls were a great solution and we're seeing so many of them proliferate. And now, you know, it's like the opposite's happening and it's very disappointing. Yeah, I think what I think what's maybe the most disappointing aspect to me is that Politan Row kind of tied us into maybe like a larger sort of food hall community, right? Because it's the, the same company operates St. Rock Market in New Orleans, which is very well thought of. They have locations in Miami and Chicago. And then the other thing is that, you know, all of the stands in Politan Row when it opened a year ago were owned by people who were women, uh, people of color, immigrants, or some combination of all three of those things. So it, it gave opportunities to a lot of really up-and-coming talent uh, who might not have, you know, been in another venue and certainly not, not anything as high profile as a prime location in Rice Village. You know, they would have been doing pop-ups at bars or, you know, maybe they would have started a food truck or something. So it, it was this really exciting place with some really interesting culinary talent and it never, you know, it opened, it opened in November of 2019. And so by, you know, February, it was, it had kind of fizzled out or, or maybe not fizzled out, but, but the, you know, the shutdown and restrictions and everything came in in March. So it, it really didn't have a lot of time to build momentum and develop a following. Yeah. And I mean, the other thing you, that I think you really hit on, and I've seen this through the years in, in the world of barbecue to be sure is the idea of like, when you go from that, you know, sort of cooking, doing little pop-ups, maybe doing things for your friends, then taking things on a very small commercial level, you know, to make that next leap when you go brick and mortar, I mean, it's, it, it's not just a money thing. There's a lot of acumen that, that that's needed. And food halls really provide a space where people kind of work those things out as well as, 
you know, they, they're around other people, usually on, on some different level uh, on the same path. Uh, and so it, it's good for them to be around each other for that. And now we don't have that. And it's, you know, just like on a multifaceted level, it's a very disappointing thing. Uh, and, you know, I, I hope when we come out of this and we will come out of this that, um, you know, we see a resurgence of that. Yeah. Are there any uh, vendors in particular that you will miss? Well, I mean, I'm fans of everyone there. I mean, to, to know the Probanto sisters, you know, I know Eki, you know, is, is to really kind of adore them. Uh, and I wanted to see that, you know, grow, uh, you know, Chef Evie and Ken, what they were doing, what she was doing, uh, you know, her products are now kind of popping up in smaller grocery venues like Henderson and Kane. Uh, and I do my part to try to, you know, to buy those because they're, they're really good. Uh, and she's got great skills. Uh, and then JQ uh, Tex-Mex Barbecue is just about to go in there. Uh, and all of a sudden, kachunk, you know, no. So. Right. So, I mean, we'll, we'll see. So, right. I mean, JQ is working on a, a food truck or a trailer. So, you know, we'll start to see him kind of back in the rotation, I suspect, at bars and breweries. Yeah, he's doing the pop-ups through um, our good friend Rebecca Masson at Fluff Bake Bar right now. Uh, That's right. A big supporter of not just the community, but the barbecue community in particular. Absolutely. Right. And uh, Victoria Elizondo, Cochinita and co has announced that she'll have a food truck coming out pretty soon. And I traded a couple of messages with the chef at uh, Pacha Nikkei, which is the uh, Japanese Peruvian fusion restaurant. And, and he says he's got something in the works too. So hopefully he'll pop up here in a little bit and we'll, you know, get to continue to enjoy all of these various cuisines. Yeah. It's, and, and of course that's not just affecting us in Houston, but I mean, I've been to the St. Rock market in New Orleans. That was my first experience with that company, which is, it's a fantastic place. You know, I just, one of those, despite all the incredible dining, you know, opportunities in New Orleans, that was like one of those places I always wanted to go back to because there was, it was just always uh, kind of fun and fresh and exciting and uh, very affordable. Absolutely. All right. Let us move on. Topic number two. The founder of Bernie's Burger Bus, Chef Justin Turner, has a new job. He has been hired by the real estate development firm McCord to open at least three new restaurants in Generation Park, which is this massive 4,200-acre mixed-use development near Lake Houston. Uh, Fulmer, you were a Bernie's Burger Bus fan back in the day. To be sure. Is there anything that Justin Turner could open in far Northeast Houston that would get you to drive from inside the loop to check it out? Well, I will always destination drive. I mean, Houston is just that way and, and uh, uh, I'm in, you know, but uh, it, it has to be something more than what I get locally. I mean, you know, I'll drive for barbecue. I'll drive for different cuisines. Obviously, like for most of us in Houston, we all have a good and sometimes in some cases a really good burger place near us. Uh, so I think it would have to be something more than that. Would I go out like once just to support? Sure, of course I would. Uh, but well, I think I would need to, for me personally, it would need to be something uh, a little bit more than, than just a burger for me to, to make a regular drive out there. You know, they, they haven't said what the, the different concepts are going to be. And I, I wonder about whether there will be a specific burger joint among them. I, I kind of think maybe not. Uh, but you know, Justin is a really talented guy. I mean, he came to Houston as uh, Shane Battier's personal chef, the NBA player, 
and he's worked in restaurants in both Chicago and Memphis prior to starting Bernie's Burger Bus. I mean, I remember he did a Korean like influence pop up with Matt Pack from the Burger Joint at Bernie's one night. You know, I remember he took over the Grand Prize Kitchen. You know, a couple of times back in the day, and there would always be duck on the menu. So I, you know, and he's talked over the years about, you know, a whole bunch of different options and, and things he would like to do. So I'm, I'm kind of excited to see what he comes up with. And, you know, from my perspective, right, the, if it's not burgers, that's even better. No, he's not a one trick pony at all. I mean, if my memory serves me correctly, when he worked for Shane Battier, who had an edict that was he couldn't cook the same thing twice ever which on one level, well, that sounds great. But, you know, after a couple of years, it's like, wow, that actually gets to be a little bit challenging. Uh, And so, you know, he has the business skill. uh, He's got creativity. It sounds like a a good, a good marriage. And uh, I'm excited to see what they do. Yeah, no, I I actually, I talked to Justin a little bit on the phone and he said he's learning so much just from being affiliated with McCord, this highly successful real estate firm. And so it's, it's very productive for him. And, you know, ultimately he'll be uh, looking to bring new restaurants into this development. So, you know, for, for chefs and operators looking to expand from Houston, I mean, this could be a, a real opportunity for people. Yeah. Drawing on Kingwood, Atascacita, that whole area, uh, you know, there's a lot going on. So I have high hopes. All right. And then topic number three, the original location of Jonathan's The Rub is going to relocate from its current home to the former Pelly Pelly kitchen space. It's basically just going from one side of I-10 and Clay Road to the other side of I-10 and Clay Road. The big change here is that uh, the original location of Jonathan's has always been BYOB and the replacement location will not be. It's... uh, it's been part of its appeal, I think, is that people, you know, in the Memorial Villages, you have a nice wine cellar can can choose a special bottle and take it out to dinner with them or just their favorite bottle and take it out to dinner with them. Michael, what do you think? Good move for Jonathan's, uh, you know, obviously bigger location, better parking, all that stuff. But I don't know, dropping BYOB, I'm, I'm concerned. I think it makes a good move. I mean, there's a little bit of a kind of a players club, these people from the Memorial area who come in there, you know, without naming names and they bring some big, you know, some big name bottles and they dine there because the food is very good and it's right in that area. So he, he draws on that, but I, I, you know, everything runs its, its gamut and he's not, you know, like the old La Vista, that's what kind of how they established their identity was we are a BYOB place and we want you to bring your wine in. And I don't think that's his identity, you know, or, or at least it's time to kind of re, you know, contextualize what that is. So, I, you know, I think it makes sense. I think people will still come. I mean, his shrimp or grits are incredible. He's got good skills. Um, you know, you're never going to make everybody happy. There'll be some people who'll be disappointed and you can always transition by allowing corkage, you know uh, you know, you can transition with your, your license and allow some of that, you know, maybe put a limit on it. There's, there's different variations that he could choose. So it's a transition that I think makes good sense. And uh, I think it'll be fairly painless. That's just my take. Well, yeah. And of course he, he did open that second location at the Memorial green development that is not BYOB and has right. 
cocktails and a full license, and that's been successful for him. So, which is pretty big. It's a pretty big space. Yeah, and and this one will be too. Uh, Four thousand square feet. Uh, like I said, I think the better parking is going to be the big win for fans of Jonathan's Rub. You know, expanded menu, all of all of the the good reasons that people move from one location to another. Indeed. All right. Michael, that does it for our news of the week. I've got one other thing to, to mention. Um, oh, this please just, do. This just came across my radar about 15 minutes ago. Uh, I didn't realize Good Dog, uh, which, you know, I guess started in the Heights and opened in Montrose, and I think they're in the rooftop cinema, whatever, however that, that's working. Uh, I just heard they closed. They weren't able to re, you know, configure their lease. And I'm not even a hot dog person. I was kind of, Linda Salinas dragged, you know, she like dragged me there. Uh, and I, their hot dogs are fantastic. And I think they have what I would call, and I'm very, you know, I have no problem saying this, the best fish and chips in town. Uh, you know, high quality fish, good tempura. Mm-hmm. The fries are great. The onion rings are incredible. And the service is always fantastic. And, you know, we, we talk about like what's going to happen to restaurants during this, this COVID and what, how, what it's wrought you know, beyond the normal closures. And that, that seems like a definite victim to that. And uh, I hope that we see the Heights, you know, still, still, still survive. And I will definitely make the drive to do that. And I wish them the best. Well, yeah. So I have, I have a slight bit of good news for you just because it hasn't closed yet. They'll be open this week. It'll close on the Sunday. The 22nd is their last day of service. So you've got, uh, well, You've then, got time to go back for one more fish and chips. I am going there and then I'll make this trip to the Heights. Like I said, they just, they really do a great job. Uh, they've, it's been so consistent and uh, you know, I just, I wish them well. Yeah, no, uh, absolutely. And it, and it is, uh, it is sad news for, especially for people who live in Montrose and are fans of good dog uh, that they have opted not to renew that lease, but yeah, the Heights location will remain open and, and, you know, you and I both think think the world of uh, Molly and Danny, the couple that run Good Dog. Yeah, so. absolutely. Their whole staff is just really first rate. Yeah. So, uh, thoughts to them, and and you know, it's just it's just kind of the way it goes this this year, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. All right. We'll be right back with our restaurant of the week. Stick around. So, Michael, for our restaurant of the week, I want to talk to you about Pier 6 Seafood and Oyster House, the new seafood restaurant down in San Leon that unites Prestige Oysters, the Gulf Coast Oyster Purveyor, with Chef Joe Cervantes, who comes to them from Brennan's. He also worked for Kill and Steakhouse for a while. Uh, you know, I, I joked with you about, would you drive to Lake Houston? Uh, Pier 6 is about 40 miles from the heart of Houston. So uh, I guess the, the first and most obvious question is, was it worth the drive? Yeah, I think it totally was. Um, and would I go back, you know, sort of a litmus test? Absolutely. I would. Um, Houston can't have enough quality seafood places in my book. Uh, we just drawing on the Gulf coast and the skills that the, the various chefs have, there's just a lot of room for uh, creativity and, uh, you know, commercially also. And so I like to see more of that. I thought the food was pretty damn good too. He's not reinventing the wheel, but he is, you know, he is putting his own stamp on things. And uh, I really appreciate that. Uh, little things like the Romalade sauce didn't taste like, you know, kind of 
flavored mayonnaise from a packet. It's clearly made fresh. Uh, it's not too strong, but it's got its own identity. Uh, one of the dishes that to me was a, a good microcosm of that was the um, the dip that we had. Oh um, yeah, the smoked fish dip. The yeah, smoked absolutely. fish dip. Yeah, it wasn't pureed into a mousse. You know, uh, there was still you know like a little bit of fish in there. There was a texture to it. The flavor was good, but it wasn't too strong. Uh, then, you know, it's just classically served with like saltines and crystal hot sauce, you know, uh, you know, it wasn't like ghost peppers from Nova Scotia or something crazy. It was, I mean, he really, he plays to his audience and it, it was, that was just a wonderful dish, you know? No, absolutely. I mean, I thought we had uh, some, some really outstanding food, actually. I mean, they have a, as you would expect from Prestige, you know, they have a pretty extensive oyster selection and so you can get half a dozen roasted oysters for i think it's 13.99 which is a, a pretty solid deal actually i mean yeah, I, I think inside the loop you know inside the loop that's a that's a 20 dish or more so easy yeah and uh you know i had oyster chowder and and i got a fried seafood platter with a piece of uh fried snapper fried shrimp fried oysters and a couple of hush puppies you know so that's that's always a good sign uh, and those those roasted oysters that we got with the blue crab topping, uh, I thought that was really outstanding. I thought the crab cake was solid, a lot of crab, not a lot of breading. Uh, like I said, the, the fried platter, really nicely cooked, uh, well seasoned. The fries were good. You know, it's a minor thing, but but it's always good when that's the case. No, I, I agree. And and I mean, we should say it's a it's a big restaurant and it was busy within the limits of capacity and social distancing. Uh, yeah, we, I, they were still seating people close to nine o'clock. It was pretty full. There's a big patio outdoors for those who prefer, you know, the, the protocols are just the comfort of that. Um, you know, it has a lot of promise. You know, the other oysters that we didn't have, but I'm curious to try, they think something called hot blooded oysters with sriracha and habanero butter. Yeah, I'm in. Um, no, absolutely. Uh, did you uh, anything miss for you? Um, I thought the desserts were a little, in a sense, over. They they were beautiful. I mean, they're you know Instagram friendly to be sure, but I thought they were kind of one note and bland. Uh, you know, they seem kind of a little kind of fussy, needlessly, and uh, you know, not much flavor uh, and uh, and texture. So. But that's an easy fix. That's a very easy fix. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought the, I, I agree with you in the sense that the desserts are very pretty, but kind of flavorless. And that a more home style, like don't make me a, like a, like a plated riff on s'mores. Like just, just make a chocolate cake with a marshmallow topping. You know what yeah, I mean? I concur. Don't do a banana pudding cake. Like just, just, you know, give me a banana cream pie, a classic banana cream pie or something like that would kind of fit the uh, the rest of the menu a little better, I think. Yeah, like he brings like his heritage, bring coming from Brennan's and, and Killen's and like what he did, I had a, a grouper, it was cooked perfectly and it had this charred tomato sauce with just a little hint of coconut milk, which maybe to someone else, like you kind of read that, like, well, maybe that's not for you. It was perfect. You know, the flavor, the texture was all great. You know, it wasn't too far outside the bounds, but it complemented it perfectly. That to me was like, that was like a bullseye right there. 
Yeah, I mean, I was really happy with my oyster chowder. I thought it was, you know, I don't like them too thick. You know, I like them kind of soupy. Um, good oyster flavor again, nicely seasoned. Um, the, the only other thing that kind of missed was they they're doing a version of that, you know, tempura shrimp with the like creamy spicy sauce that that Nobu dish. Um, thought that was maybe a little bit salty, um, but. You know, that's the kind of, you know, they've been, they've only been open for a couple of weeks. Those are the kind of blips that, that just sort of happen. Yeah. I, I mean, I like the dish that maybe a tad bit salty. Um, what, what intrigued me too, is that there was other parts of the menu that I really wanted to try. You know, of course there's limits for each visit and that's, you know, that's a, a very attractive thing. Like, you know, I want to try his bisque. I want to try the other oysters, those other dishes. So, you know, the whole menu really looked uh, very inviting. Uh, and I, I can't, I'm eager to go back and, and explore more of it. Yeah. And then I should say the ladies of libation did the cocktails. I had a, a frozen manganata that I really enjoyed. We were there with, uh, our friend Felice Sloan, who's on the show quite a bit. She had, uh, actually, I don't, I don't remember what Felice drank, but she was super happy with it. Um, it was yellow. <laughs> that's right. I remember that. Morning Glory or something like that, I think it was called. That sounds right. I think like a, a kind of light and refreshing gin-based cocktail. Um, like I said, the room looks great. It's a big restaurant. Um, the other thing, and, and I feel like maybe this could happen to anybody, but since it happened to me, I feel sort of obligated to share it with the audience is that uh, we, we definitely put in three credit cards to split the check. And when the check came back, there were only two credit cards in the check presenter. And I, you know, they were apologetic and, and the server spent some time kind of looking for it, but the card never, the card never turned up. And I don't, I, I've just, I've never had that happen to me before. And I, and I, I don't know what I sort of expected them to do about it other than sort of apologize, but um, it just, it, it, it ended the meal on a slightly sour note. It was awkward. Uh, it wasn't, you know, the server should have like told a manager immediately and they, that should have been attended to. I've been on the other side of that where I've lost a credit card. Now I've, I've always found it, but those moments when you're still looking for it and you can't find it is like sheer panic. And, um, you know, it just, uh, it didn't seem to be the same intensity of like, Hey, I've lost your credit card and let me bring the power, you know, let me bring my boss into just to, just to talk to you. And that's how it could, it should have been handled. You know, in the end, you know, we walked away. Okay. But yeah, that was a, that was definitely a, a blip to be sure. Right. And, and so I guess, you know, to the extent that, you know, it's, you know, the service staff is still kind of in training or maybe doesn't have right the same experience that you would expect at a, you know, given the quality of the food, right. The, the, we really enjoyed the meal and, and I'm with you. I would happily go back. Um, but getting that, getting that service staff dialed in, I think is still kind of a work in progress for them. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. All right, Michael, that does it for our restaurant of the week. Thank you very much. Thank you, sir. Take care. All right. And I will be right back with Brian Ching. I am joined this week by Brian Ching. Dynamo legend and bar owner. He recently opened East End Backyard. We're going to talk about all of those things. Brian, welcome to the show. How are you? 
Uh, I'm, I'm doing good. Been uh, been busy. You know, I can't complain. Forward to it, Art. Well, yeah. Thanks for thanks for doing this. Look, I I, I want to talk about your athletic career just kind of to start. I mean, I I'll put it to you like this: the the stereotype of the kid who was always picked last in like team activities or or youth sports um, that that's not a stereotype because that was literally my life. <laughs> so I can't. I can't quite imagine like what it's like to grow up sort of gifted. I mean, like when did you, when did you figure out that you weren't just like, you know, the best kid in your elementary school or whatever, but that like you were good enough at soccer to, to maybe make a career out of it. Yeah. It's one of the funniest things is that, you know, I I really grew up wanting to be a professional surfer. I mean, that was like my, my goal and soccer wasn't even, on my radar, to be honest. Um, I started playing soccer because my mom's like, why don't you play organized sports? I was like, all right, what? And she said soccer and I was kind of a shy kid. So I was like, well, if you coach, I'll play. And so she became my first coach, kind of fell in love with the game a bit after that. uh, And I just enjoyed competing. Uh, I enjoyed um, playing all sports, to be honest. And you know, it wasn't like there was a league that I was watching. Um, you know, soccer isn't wasn't as prevalent as it is on uh, nowadays on TV. So I, I'd only catch a game here and there. Uh, I didn't even know about the European leagues uh, until I almost, you know, I really went to college. Then I, then I knew how big soccer was around the world. Um, it was one of those things. My mom said, hey, you know, uh, you want to get a scholarship to go away to college one day? And you try to help me out. Then I looked around. I was like, well, I've been playing the soccer thing. I'm pretty good at it. So let me give it a go. And I really kind of started training every single day at that point uh, to try and get a a scholarship. And, you know, got to the point where I started going to school early, uh, took a ball with me, started doing doing all the things I needed to do to kind of get that scholarship. And I got one college scholarship um, to Gonzaga, the only school that really gave me a chance. And uh, so I went there and the MLS didn't even start about until like uh, pretty my, my freshman year of, of co- uh, college. So it wasn't, you know, even when I went to college, it wasn't a thing like, oh, okay, maybe I can become a pro. Uh, it wasn't really until like my junior year of um, college that uh, the Galaxy uh, at the time said, you know, they saw me playing a game. They said, hey, come down, you know, in your summer and train with us. And you know, that it was that summer that I really was like, oh, okay, maybe I can become a professional soccer player. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I made it. So it wasn't your typical pro athlete journey from, no, you know, wanting to be a professional from, from the time I was young to, to actually becoming one. It was just one of those things where I was, I was a competitor. I just liked to compete and I hated to lose and I hated feeling not good enough. And so I would do what it took to make sure that, uh, you know, I became one of the better kids. Um, and obviously I was athletically uh, gifted. Um, you know, the funny thing is I have a half sister who was a synchronized uh, swimmer who, who won uh, gold medals in the Olympics. And then her son actually plays for the Mets these days. His name's Michael Conforto. So oh, wow. uh, my dad produced some pretty good athletes, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you started with the Galaxy. How did you make your way to the Dynamo? When did you get to Houston? Yeah, so I started with the Galaxy. Um, didn't had a terrible year. Uh, really didn't play that well. Um, and then kind of 
got cut. So I went to Seattle the next year, had a tremendous year. Seattle was in the second division at the time, went to San Jose, uh, got picked up in San Jose the following year. Um, and then uh, our whole franchise moved from San Jose uh, in 2006. Uh, and that was our first year with the Dynamo and been here ever since and fell in love with the city, um, you know, fell in love with the food, fell in love with the people. And uh, here I am. Yeah, I mean, because I guess, I mean, you grew up in Hawaii, right? But but did you kind of know that you're, even after your playing career, that you would stay in Houston? Um, not at first. Uh, not when we first moved here as a franchise, but you know, after being here eight years with the Dynamo, uh, my life was here. Uh, you know, had, had a son here um, and, uh, you know, got out, wanted, thought I wanted to uh, run a team one day, uh, be a GM, and was lucky enough to get an opportunity to, to experience that. Well, right when I retired to become the GM of the women's team, the Dash. Uh, and then I did that for a few years without really knowing, you know, this is really what I want to do. And, and kind of while I was doing that, I also had the idea for Pitch 25 uh, and started down that path as well and really found a passion um, for the entrepreneurial side of things and, and found out, you know, that um, running a team was not something that I think I wanted to do long term and was able to step away from that and kind of get into another field of uh, financial advising. Well, good. So, yeah. So let's talk about Pitch 25. I mean, how did that come together? Because you you partnered with Andy Awada and Jeff Barati, the owners of Woosters and uh, Holman Draft Hall and Heights Beer Garden. I mean, how did that how did that relationship kind of evolve? Yeah. So, you know, I really started doing some research on kind of what it would take to kind of get uh, a place open, a bar, a sports bar, uh, to be honest. And, you know, I, I, I knew that there were a space around the stadium, uh, the Dynamo Stadium, and that it was still kind of an underdeveloped area. And if I could put my brand on a, a sports bar or soccer bar, you know, I, I just, I figured people would, would want to come and, and, and check it out and, and do the right, you know, not do the right things, but come and uh, be a part of it. And so, you know, I looked at Lucky's and, you know, Lucky's used to host a lot of these big soccer watch parties because they were one of the only bars really that, that had the capacity and, and the ability to do it. And I thought, okay, well, you know, if, if I can open up something and, and make it a little bit nicer that, you know, I, I could potentially get some of that, uh, some of those people to come to my place. And, you know, I, I started off a road going down with, with uh, these other guys uh, first and then it didn't really quite work out. And, you know, I knew Andy and Jeff over the past uh, probably, you know, seven, eight, ten years um, and just kind of became friends with them over the world. And I I, I like the places that they produced and, you know, I felt they were great operators. And so, you know, for me, I wasn't going to try to start from scratch and do everything on my own. Um, You know, obviously, I wanted to partner with guys that knew what they were doing um, and, you know, just sat down with with Andy one day and we kind of hashed out a bit of a deal and um, you know, it's been, it's been great ever since they, they really helped, you know, bring pitch to life. Uh, you know, I, I've always, when I was playing, I drove by the pitch location and always saw this for lease sign on the building and kind of went and negotiated that lease. And it, you know, it, it took me a while to get that going. It was an easy negotiation, but did that and, you know, kind of went about raising the money and, uh, did a lot of learning, uh, learned a lot throughout the process and, 
you know, was happy that uh, when we opened, you know, the people did come and, and, and love the place. Yeah, no, I mean, you're, if, if nothing else, right, your, your timing was excellent because you opened uh, right before the World Cup. And it just, I mean, that just seemed like that was the place where all of Houston went to watch those matches. It was. Uh, it was stressful, to be honest. I mean, you know how projects always take longer than you want. We want to be open at the beginning of the year and have six months of uh, experience under our belts before we got slammed with, you know, hundreds of people in, in, inside a pitch. But that wasn't the case. And, um, you know, that was it, for me, it was it was an amazing thing just to kind of see the amount of uh, traction we got, you know, within a week of opening uh, with the World Cup and uh, for me, it was the coolest part about it was seeing how it, uh, it represented the country. I mean, one day it was the English fans, one day it was the French fans, one day it was the Mexican fans, one day it was the German fans. And, you know, just the amount of people that we got there from all, I wouldn't say all over the world, but all over the city, just being uh, such a diverse city, uh, was was something that really put a smile on my face more than anything else you know i think we had a lot of problems <laughs> opening up and trying to operate when you when you're that busy uh a week into it um but you know what the, I, I think the people didn't you know i wouldn't say they didn't care but they came out and they had a really good time at our our, our venue uh and and that's just because um you know the houston people <laughs> you know it wasn't like we were doing anything special operationally at that point but, uh, you know, the people came out to celebrate and, and, and celebrate the biggest sport were, um, you know, the biggest sporting event in the world. And I was just grateful that uh, they came to pitch and, you know, it kind of put us on the map. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And I, I think it's such a smart concept because it combines the, the sort of patio bar beer garden thing that, you know, there's, I mean, there's a, there's a few of them and obviously uh, Andy and Jeff own some of them and there's, there's others, but, you know, that indoor soccer field really sets it apart and it just, it just gives it like a lively environment. And you, you know, I've, I've been there and seen people playing, you know, matches on the, on the little mini pitch. And uh, it just, it adds an exciting factor to things. Yeah. And that was one thing I really wanted, right. With the space, I was like, oh, this is big enough. I would love to have a soccer field in here. And yeah, I think that, for me, it was something that I was going to help drive people uh, into the business kind of on the slow nights, right, with with the leagues and, and whatnot. And, and what I really realized is that people want to go out and be active a lot of times, right? And so, you know, whether that it's not just kind of sitting down and, and, and drinking beer, it's, you know, sitting down, playing games, uh, being able to act, interact with their friends. And, you know, that field kind of brings this, this different element that I don't think – I don't think there's anything kind of like it <laughs> that I've seen right. uh, in the world. And so, uh, you know, it just has this really coolness to it. And, you know, the outdoor beer garden, I'll have to hand it to, to Andy and Jeff for, for that vision where we, we kind of took part off the roof, put some trees in there. I mean, that, you know, that, that in itself is, is pretty amazing. And it's pretty interesting when you're walking on the outside of the building, you, you don't really realize how much or how cool it is on the inside and for the longest time when we didn't have big signs up or anything like that people would just walk by without even knowing and then you know they, they pop in one day and uh you know just just seeing that initial reaction from people's faces when they walk in the pitch for the first time it's uh it's pretty cool because a lot of times it's like wow 
<laughs> right. Is, no, this place is huge. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I mean, what was it or what did you kind of learn? I mean, you, you know, you entered this, this world of hospitality having come from athletics. I mean, what did you, what did, what did you find that you really liked about being in, in the world of hospitality? Um, I like pitch because it brought people together. Uh, you know, I, I learned that it's, it's, it's extremely difficult to, to start a business <laughs> and run, uh, day, day out. And there's, there's a lot that goes on. And, um, you know, I've, I've, I've learned a lot about that, um, over the past few years, uh, having pitch and, um, you know, it's, it's definitely not, uh, easy industry at times to be in. Um, but, uh, having said that, you know, creating something, um, brings a lot of pride, not only to, to myself, but I know, uh, Andy and Jeff have a lot of pride in that. And then, you know, with the employees, um, you know, I think the employees, uh, it's, it's like a team in a lot of ways, uh, being able to kind of communicate, communicate with them, um, and get them, uh, on, on board and, and, and bought into kind of the vision you know, is, is kind of the same as, as, as working with your teammates on, on the field in a lot of ways. And so I really enjoyed those relationships and building those uh, along the way. Um, and, uh, you know, creating an environment where people want to come in and, and enjoy themselves. Right. So, so, you know, you, you opened pitch and then how did, how did East End Backyard come together? Yeah. So, you know, I never went into uh, pitch, um, thinking I was going to kind of create more and more bars. Uh, it's just something that kind of happened with East End. I have a good buddy of mine. And, you know, obviously, I think for me, I, I try to mitigate a lot of the risks when I get into um, opening up these new businesses. And um, along those lines, you know, Pitch, um, you know, negotiated a very good lease on that and then partnered with great guys. And so for East End Backyard, um, my buddy owns, owned the land. Uh, he had, uh, some rental houses that were kind of very old and he wanted to kind of, uh, get out of that, that business. And so, you know, he approached me and said, Hey, you know, let's, let's do something. I'll work with you on this. Um, you know, he's also a general contractor in the area, uh, builds townhomes. And so he, he knows the area quite a bit and, uh, he kind of helped me GC that project as far as, you know, the build out goes. Uh, I got uh, Liz Ching, my ex, to come in and do the interior design, which is totally fantastic. Uh, and then, um, you know, the project started off small. Uh, <laughs> we were just going to initially one house and then have a little side courtyard. Uh, but then COVID hit and, you know, we adapted and, you know, doubled the project uh, and then, you know, put in the whole backside, put in a uh, uh, the dog park um, and you know, I think that uh, if we didn't do those things, uh, we probably wouldn't have uh, been as successful as, as we have so far to this point, because, um, you know, uh, because I think we were, we were thinking a little bit too small and, and having that big outdoor space, especially in this time, I think is uh, essential uh, for, for making people feel comfortable. And I think we did, we, we've done a good job of that. And, um, you know, the vision is something that we're going to build out the entire block since my buddy owns uh, the rest of the block. And we'd like to bring in a lot of these little food concepts that kind of all feed into this, this backyard. So, you know, we're, we're just at the beginning stages of kind of um, this project in a lot of ways. 
Well, yeah, I mean, I, I was just going to ask you because, you know, the opening pitch, right, the, you had the excitement of the World Cup and, and the goal was to, you know, cram as many people in there as you were sort of legally allowed to. Uh, and now you're operating in a very different environment where the goal is to, to sort of limit the size of gatherings and to keep people sort of spaced apart. I mean, what, what is your sense? I mean, how is that, how is that process kind of going and, and kind of what is your sense from your customers about how they, they feel about uh, what you're offering at East End? Yeah, I, I think uh, that area has kind of been an underserved area uh, in a lot of ways. Um, not um, anything kind of built out uh, in the way that we've kind of built it and with that much space. Uh, and I you know, I went into it thinking, hey, I, I just want to have a nice neighborhood bar, a place where, you know, the, the people that uh, have been moving into Edo can come and relax and, and feel like they have a backyard because a lot of the houses there are townhomes and they're, you know, I, I know they're being down there. People are always walking their dogs around to different places and things like that. And so I wanted to be able to kind of create a place where, you know, the neighborhood could come uh, and, and feel like they're in their own backyard or, and, um, you know, feel like they can meet their neighbors and, and, and things like that. And so, um, that was kind of the idea and the vision. And then kind of as we move forward, what I want to do is be able to bring different food concepts in. And we've, we've struck some great partnerships so far. Your Churrasco's comes out and caters on Wednesday nights, uh, does our steak night. We're about to introduce a Tuesday taco night where um, the tacos that we're going to be producing are actually tacos from the shop that we're going to build next. So uh, one of those houses that we have there is going to be converted into a taco shop. And we're kind of in the process of planning out uh, how that's going to look right now. And then we'll hopefully be in permitting by before the end of the year on that. Um, so Tuesdays, we're going to come out and kind of sample the tacos that um, uh, we plan to kind of be serving uh, in that taco shop as we move forward. Uh, what else we got? And we, we, a number of food trucks, um, the Muishi, uh, Coffee Q, uh, Nola's, Po' Boys. Um, so I think that's been great in, as far as giving a lot of the people in the neighborhood different things to choose from on, uh, on different nights. And I, you know, I think that kind of builds into the kind of the, uh, build out that we are going to, uh, eventually do for the entire block. Yeah. So I, I mean, in general, I mean, how do you feel like it's going? I mean, are you, are you seeing sort of a, a good turnout and people are responding well to it? Yeah. I mean, the, the first month that we've been open, uh, obviously in October, we got, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of press, a lot of media, and a lot of people come in to check it out. And, you know, the um, overall impressions that we've, we've gotten back so far is very, very, very positive, you know, and, you know, for us, I think we, we kind of look to kind of build more as we kind of go along, you know, we just put TVs outside. So, uh, you know, hopefully we can keep people around a little bit longer. Uh, you know, I think our next step is we probably want to bring out some uh, heaters uh, because obviously we're going to get into some very colder months here in the next, you know, December, January, February. And that's a must when majority of our seating is outdoors. Um, you know, we can we can fit very few people on, <laughs> inside, especially when it uh, the weather's not good um, outside. So um, so we have to make sure that uh, we kind of build those things as we go along. And, you know, I, I kind of want to build out towards a master plan uh, of the entire block. So we're kind of in, in the process of talking architects right now to kind of see which one we like to kind of help us design 
the rest of the block and, and kind of fulfill our vision, um, uh, you know, in the next few years. So talk about that vision, I guess, like you said, you, you've, you've got the bar, you're working on a taco shop. I mean, what else would you kind of, you know, on the wish list, like, how would you like to see it develop? Yeah. I, yeah, I think just kind of thinking out right now, um, we'll see how it plays out, but you know, pizza shop, you know, maybe a poke shop, maybe, um, uh, just different food vendors. You know, I'd love to be able to kind of talk with, uh, popular food spots that we have here in Houston and maybe have them kind of, you know, get excited about being in there. And so that way we can bring different concepts, uh, food concepts to the whole neighborhood where, you know, the idea is to be able to come with your family or your friends and not everybody wants to eat the same thing, but you know, you'll have different options. So one guy wants tacos, one guy wants pizzas. We all have that in a simple place. And then on top of that, you know, eventually I think we want to, create an area or in stage where we can have live music, uh, maybe play movies, uh, have like a movie night on, on certain nights and just kind of a place where people can come and really enjoy themselves. Um, you know, bring their, their pets and then maybe bring their, their kids too and kind of create like a little kids area off to the side where parents can feel safe sitting in the backyard, watching their kids, watching their pets uh, and enjoying uh, different food or, or, or beer. No, it's, it's an interesting idea. I mean, I, prior to your coming on the show, we were talking about the fact that the, the food hall in Rice Village closed and it's, it's difficult right now to have a lot of people in an indoor space. But uh, I mean, it almost seems like you could kind of flip that on its head, right? You can have like a food hall style experience with different vendors supplying different kinds of food, but instead of an indoor space, it's centered around that big backyard. Yeah. And I think, you know, people want to be outdoors for the most part. Um, you know, I know there's going to be challenges in the summer and then, you know, in, in January and February and it does get cold. But uh, I think along with that concept is, you know, each one of these businesses that come in, businesses will also be able to deliver. Right. Uh, so say, you know, we get a pandemic again. Right. That, you know, people, um, one, if they don't feel safe, we could, you know, have food delivered from, you know, uh, their neighborhood right to them or they could come and, and be outdoors and, and, you know, if that makes them feel safe out there and uh, then come and do that. So I think, you know, there's a lot of um, benefits to having it kind of an open aired outdoor space uh, as opposed to kind of indoor where, you know, when um, hopefully we don't have <laughs> many more pandemics, but should you know, that situation arise again, that, you know, people are, feel a little bit better about being outdoors. Yeah. And I mean, I have to say, you know, the one thing about pitch of course, is it benefits from being right next to the stadium. Um, This concept though, you know, a family friendly outdoor, you know, bar environment. I mean, that feels like that could be put maybe other places. Yeah. And that's something that, you know, I kind of want to build out this model and this concept, but I think, you know, a lot of people um, nowadays, and especially in Houston, they go out and they want to go to a place where, and I've seen this because I have a son, my own son, is they want to go somewhere where the kids can get out and have a good time and they're not worried about it. and They can watch them uh, and feel safe about it. And, you know, it's a place where uh, families, are, families can come because, you know, obviously kids <laughs> are picky eaters and, and the parents want something different a lot of times. And so, 
you know, I, I do think there's a lot of legs to this concept. And I think that, you know, if we can prove it right, then I would love to be able to kind of expand on it and put put some, you know, maybe in Pearland, Sugarland, Katie, who knows, uh, you know, but I think that um, I like, I, I think the concept has legs. Uh, <laughs> I, and, and so far we've been getting pretty good uh, feedback on that. And uh, I look forward to kind of exploring this further and, you know, ideally I would like to be able to create a few more backyards around the city. And then, I mean, are you now to the point where, I mean, you're meeting people who don't know about your prior life. <laughs> I mean, like, do they, like, do they know who you are? Um, I fly under the radar sometimes. So, so, so this is the way I put it. I, right. Nowadays I get, um, bothered just enough that it makes me feel good where but where it's not overwhelming <laughs> you know, I, go out, I get recognized maybe once or twice a night which which, which builds my, which is good for my ego but outside of that you know i could be pretty incognito um and not have to worry about being bugged all the time so you know i i'm i'm in i enjoy that aspect of it and you know i don't envy uh some of the the big name guys in the city that you know it makes it difficult for them to go out anywhere right you you don't want jj watts level of celebrity no chance. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because, uh, a lot of times those guys have to live kind of sheltered lives and, um, you know, and it's difficult. And, you know, I, I feel for them in, in a lot of ways and in a lot of ways I don't. But, um, uh, but yeah, I've, I've seen firsthand how, how, you know, how sometimes difficult uh, it, could, it could be. And I'm glad that I'm, I'm kind of not in that situation. Yeah. So, um so is it so what's the was anything is anything about kind of opening east end surprised you or have you made any changes in the first month based on uh people's feedback um yes i think you know obviously i think we we realized that you know i think people want uh reason to kind of to hang out there yeah uh, so we 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 started getting games you know when uh cornhole bags out there we We've looked into to getting other types of games. Uh, we put the TVs up. You know, obviously, I think the heaters are going to be a big thing. Uh, initially, we had this big screen TV that we rented for the uh, Astros um, that people loved. You know, and that kind of gave us ideas for the future. Obviously, I think right now it's it's too expensive for us to to buy one full time. But I think eventually, as we kind of build out the block uh, the way we want to, that we'll eventually have a big screen out there again. Um, the the dog park i think has been uh, a blessing and never realized that you know it would get as much use uh, as it does um and so it's just a lot of little things uh, i think we want to do you know eventually i think we want to put some fire pits out there um you know for the colder months and things like that so there's there's been some good feedback um you know obviously uh, you know we do want to be the neighborhood bar and want to help you know, make the neighbors feel um, a part of it and feel uh, like they want to come. I think, you know, one of the things down the road, I think we're going to talk to Urban Harvest and eventually put a bunch of planter boxes out there, um, you know, kind of get little gardens going in different areas. Um, so th these are all kind of long-term things that we're going to kind of slowly add over time. No, that all sounds great. Um, well, I have to say that brings me to the end of my questions. Is there something about either pitch or East end that you want to discuss that I haven't asked you about. 
No, oh yes, actually, the, we we have a great partnership at the East End uh, backyard with um, Donkey Boy, uh, and so he actually painted that mural out there. Um, we're in the process of uh, well, this weekend he's got Red Bull. He's working with Red Bull, and uh, he's going to be painting kind of a Red Bull fridge uh, as a promotional thing for them. Uh, it's going to be out at East End this weekend, and then uh, we'll. You know, with our big fence and 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 all, we're also going to do another collaboration with him, where or Donkey Boy, where uh, he's bringing in other artists and they're kind of painting different sections of the fence. So, kind of make a lot of Instagram photo type um, pictures, which which I think really fits in well with with East End. So I think uh, or Edo. Uh, so we're really looking forward to, to the, those types of things. And then, you know, as far as pitch goes. Um, I just love it. I appreciate the people that have been coming out. Um, you know, obviously it is a great place to be able to be social distanced and, and whatnot. And, um, you know, uh, we're going to start a movie night there. Um, so I think that'll help drive some traffic. And um, yeah, I, I guess that's the, that's my, that's my plugs. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, before I let you go, we have to play the lightning round. Okay. Five easy questions, five short answers. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. Brian Ching, what is your favorite beer on the East End Backyard Tap Wall? Oh, East End Backyard Tap Wall was the uh, no, no label Hefeweizen that they had. I can't uh, remember the name of it. All right. What is the first band you ever saw in concert? <laughs> MC Hammer, Boise Man, and TLC. Wow. That, that's a fantastic <laughs> answer. All right. What is your fast food guilty pleasure? It has to come from a restaurant with a drive-thru. Oh, Taco Bell, soft taco Supremes. I can't get enough of those things. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Who is your favorite Houston sports figure, past or present? Oh, favorite Houston sports figure, past or present. Um, yeah, I have to say... Mm, that's a that's a tough one um i'd say drexler all right and then uh i, I think you could also have said brian Chang. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally when you go to a pizzeria for the first time what are your go-to toppings oh this well hawaiian pizza <laughs> hawaiian <laughs> so but i do the pepperoni and pineapple all right i used it was disgusting growing up, but now I absolutely love it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, give us the uh, give us the website and the Instagram and all that for East End Backyard. And for- yeah, so East End East End Backyard uh, and then Pitch Twenty Five which will take you to the Facebook our Facebook page there. So um, please come check us out if you haven't. Uh, look forward to seeing you. All right, Brian, thanks so much. Yeah, Eric, appreciate it, man. Thank you. You can follow me on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.